Welcome to The Sandbox with Justin Peters, connecting you to the ideas and tools to improve your life. Now let's go. Hello, my friends, and welcome into The Sandbox. I am your host, Justin Peters, and I am glad you tuned into today's episode because this one is littered with great advice. My guest today is Ryan Bennett, who developed a method called the Intentional Growth Model to help people reach their full potential. Ryan's profile includes being an ESPN academic All-American, a founding member of a tech startup, a high-performance coach and speaker, and author of The Intentional Day. These titles didn't come easy, though. With the competitive fire left over from collegiate baseball and a freshly printed degree in hand, Ryan set out for Silicon Valley to start building his business empire. But after a few years of iterations and modest growth, Ryan had to close his startup and label his business and himself a failure. But this was only the start of Ryan's rebuilding journey. He eventually traded a remote for a book, late night drinking for early morning coffees, and a storyline of failure for a life of personal growth. There are a lot of goodies in this conversation, including the four major elements of the intentional growth model, why Ryan believes smart goals don't work, how to build your coalition of growth partners, and much more. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Ryan Bennett. Ryan, welcome into the sandbox, my man. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, Justin. (laughs) Well, I'm so excited for this conversation today. You're such an interesting guy. You've had so many successes in your life, Um, you know, between the ESPN All-American Academic Award that you received. You you were a Silicon Valley entrepreneur. You you got involved in another what it looks like to be a successful startup. And then you became a, a speaker, an author, a coach, so many amazing things which um, surprises me that in 2011, your New Year's resolution was to watch more TiVo. (laughs) So I want you to tease this out. Uh, What was the current state of your life at that time? Uh, And and maybe a little bit of ramp up to to where you got to that place. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think you would want me on your podcast back then. Um, I, around 2011, I actually, you, you claim that my startup in Silicon Valley was a success and maybe what I learned what from it was a success, but it actually was a massive failure. So I was just coming back home, uh, moving back into my parents' basement, age 27, felt like a failure, even though the business failed, not myself, but that's a whole different piece of like, I actually felt like a failure and my friends are all getting married and having successful jobs and I'm basically empty, broken, disappointed, just don't know what to do. And basically my outlet was TV. So my New Year's goal that year was to watch more TV. And that's like crazy to think about right now. Um, But I I felt stuck and I just didn't know what to do. And part of that journey for me was to actually do something, just take action. I just didn't even know what it was. And so for me, it ended up being books, and, and now I love to read books, but for me to open a book at night was terrible because TV was my outlet. And um, and so anyways, that was kind of my, part of my journey to get where I'm at today was was books and mm. mentorship and, and, and learning. So what what uh, what kind of reader were you at that point in time? Were you the, the person that picked up a book every once in a while, or you hadn't really read since, you know, required reading in, in, in college? Yeah, reading was required. Right? That's, that's how I felt about it. And, you know, give me some blogs. I'll skim over it. You know, let's, you know, on Instagram, you'll slide up. But even that's 2011, probably doesn't have that then. But that's the kind of reader I was. It wasn't anything major in my life. And one of the one of the things that, that drew, drew me to the book was the first one I picked up. And it was by Jim Rohn. And, and basically in that book said, if you want your life and circumstances to change, then you have to change and grow first. Mm. And that was like a light bulb moment for me. And, and so that, that led me to start to understand this whole idea of growth and intentional growth. And, and so much has evolved since 2011 in my life and in with intentional growth and, and who I am as a person. But to take us back to that moment, for me, reading was a chore. It wasn't enjoyable because it always was a chore during high school and college. But I knew there was value there because 
all leaders are readers apparently. So I was like, okay, let's try this out. And I remember like watching TV and had this book and it, and I was like trying to just pick up this book, but I was just like debilitated. I, I just couldn't turn off the TV. And I, and, and I learned about what tiny habits was. And so I was like, okay, what I'm going to do is that commercial break, this is 2011. We had commercials still. <laughs> I'm just going to turn the TV on mute and pick up a book and just read for two minutes. Hmm. And that was it. And I started to develop that little tiny habit over and over and over. And that was sort of um, opened my eyes to my love of reading and eventually found myself not even wanting to have the TV on, just turning it off and reading. And now my wife and I still for our family have this rule where we don't turn the TV on during the weekday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday is the only time we watch TV and Monday through Thursday is time for family and chilling and reading and enjoying each other. Hmm. Wow, that's super cool. I think that's a great method for um, first-time readers out there that maybe don't read a ton. That that you know, um, uh, TV is something to them. You know, that dead time in between commercial breaks. I guess now it's streaming services. So I guess if you have ads right now, you can you can pick up the book for ninety seconds. But I found that really powerful. My little brother does that. He actually reads during uh, in between a sets when he works out. So he brings a book down uh, to, uh, he's at my parents' house. He, he brings a book down and in between sets, he's got 60 seconds or 90 seconds and he tries to read a page and he finds himself reading, you know, 10 to 15 pages by, by the end of his workout. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a really interesting method, I thought. You know, it's, you don't feel committed to, to sitting and reading a book for an hour, but, uh, and, then, and then he developed a reading habit from that as well. And, and he started to get into reading. Do you have a, um, any suggestions for people who don't read too often that may have been in your state there in 2011? Uh, any book suggestions for, for someone that, you know, is looking for a nonfiction that maybe needs a little motivation or something, anything that you really love that you picked up? Yeah, so I'll answer your question in two, two ways. One is my recommendation on people who don't read that, that kind of want to or think they should, go find and, and go find books that you actually enjoy. Make the process of learning fun for you because if it becomes a chore, you're not going to want to do it. And so find your interest. And if that's nonfiction, if that's fiction, if that's something, it doesn't matter. The the mind you're, you're getting your mind used to the idea of learning through a, through a book. And so whatever that looks like for you, just like I encourage you, just to go find your what your niche is. And if you don't like a book, put it down, pick up another one. It's not a big deal. Um, so that's what I would recommend people um, who don't read and, and want to kind of develop that. To answer your question, like my, one, two of my favorite authors are Jim Rohn um, and John Wooden, and I usually send people to John Wooden first. And I don't know if you know anything about John Wooden, Justin. Uh-uh. Do you know anything? Okay, so he um, was the most successful bas- college basketball coach coach in the history of the NCAA. He won ten national championships in twelve years, went seven years with undefeated seasons and never once talked about actually winning the game. Hmm. And to me, that was like, whoa, wait a minute. As an ex-athlete, I'm like, that's all we talk about is winning, winning, winning. But his whole thing was focus on what you can do each day to perform at the best of your abilities. And you ended up losing the game, but you performed at the best of your abilities at 100%, then like that's still a successful day. And so he had this like mindset around intentional growth and personal growth but also he mixed in there of just really wise principles that he came around with. And, you know, this is, he was a coach during the fifties, sixties and seventies. Right. So he is old school. I just love his principles that he teaches and talks about making each day your masterpiece and what will you do that day? And so I just, I love that one. So he has seven different books. Oh, seven different books. Is there a a big title out of the seven or all of them, any of them you could pick up and and read and, and get what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I, it depends on what the niche is going to be. There's some on, on fatherhood, but there's also some on business. And that's the one I actually teach people on is, is Wooden on Leadership is the book called. And he talks about uh, coaching basketball, life leadership, and business leadership all mixed in together. It's a really book, a great book for people who are trying to learn to be leaders, both in their lives and their professional lives. It's just great tactical stuff. Hmm. Hmm. So, you know, speaking of tactical stuff, let, let's talk, let's jump into um, your framework method, you know, the intentional growth model. You know, can you explain the intentional growth model to us? Yeah, it's really basic, um, but it's powerful. So it's knowledge plus intentional actions or what I call disciplines 
are what lead to growth. So let's break that down. Knowledge, right? This is stuff we just talked about. We talked about, we learn in school, professors, teachers. Uh, knowledge can be gained through books, YouTube videos, podcasts. Like those are knowledge pieces, but also in there is awareness is what I conclude knowledge. So that's self-awareness. There's emotional intelligence plays a piece of that. There's the idea of watching film on yourself that you can tweak. And those are all knowledge-based stuff. But what we learn, if we don't actually apply and practice that skill and develop habits or what I call daily disciplines, then we're not going to do anything with it. We're just going to be full of this knowledge but not take any action. And, and I come across people all the time, like you and I, who are just consuming YouTube videos and motivational videos on YouTube. And they're all... They can quote that with the best of them, but they're not seeing any actual growth in their own lives. And it's because they, they all they do is watch the videos. They don't actually say, hey, what's one thing I can actually put into my life today that will lead me to where I want to be tomorrow? And that's sort of the formula. Knowledge plus intentional actions or disciplines lead to growth. Hmm. So how did you come across this? Like, how, how did you develop this framework? So it was through many years of learning um, as, like I said, the moment where I realized that I love books and that I was not the person I wanted to become and I needed to change myself led me on the journey of personal professional uh, development and leadership. And in there, I started to develop myself to the point where people wanted to start to come to me for coffee. And that happens. I'm sure it happens to you all the time, Justin, mm-hmm. the type of you are. Right. And I started to see the same kind of trend over and over. And I started answering the same questions. And what I realized that all these guys were learning a bunch of stuff, but no one was ever taking intentional actions consistently over time that led to growth. And so I sort of accumulated this, all this information and it boiled down to me in one day where I had this kind of aha epiphany moment where it was like, Oh, this is the formula for growth that's worked in my life. Now let me go and try this on me and a few of my close buddies. Hmm. And I went and I created a little one pager for us and we printed off in a PDF and we went and started doing it. And that was like a growth partner meeting, which I'm, I know we'll get into. Right. And, and so we started to do this and they started to see real good growth. So that's what kind of evolved this formula and over time and just kind of honed in. And this is the base of basically everything that I teach and also the way I live my life. Like that's a conversation I have all the time with my wife and people is like, okay, great. That's awesome awareness. Now what we're going to do with it. What will Mm. we do next? Mm. That's how I came about it. Okay. And um, I want to get into the four elements of, of that model here first, but uh, I want to, or I want to, I want to talk about something first though. Um, Something that I learned a ton in almost every marketing class, business class through both high school and college was was this thing called smart goals, uh, and, and and you know what smart goals are, but but I want you to explain what smart goals are and um, explain to the audience why you don't believe that smart goals work. Yeah, so uh, that's a great question, uh, and the science will tell us that only eight percent of people who set goals actually achieve them. It's crazy, but yet I know. I know it is crazy. And you, you're a type of guy that you actually may be in that 8%, Justin, but like, (laughs) I'm not in that 8%. Um, And so for me, I was like, that is crazy. If only 92% of people fail in their goals, and yet we're still teaching the same exact methods. Why why are we continuously doing that over and over? And so again, as, as we do, you know, we go and we study about it. And so what I learned is that goals, goal setting by itself, just focuses on the outcome but the problem is the outcome is just the scoreboard we can't just be in the game and wish that we'll win and we just in the sidelines and watch it happen and hope that like oh i hope we win the game right like we actually have to play the game and Mm -hmm. so goals by itself are just based on the outcome and the scoreboard what we really need to do is develop the habits and the daily disciplines it takes to achieve that goal and that's why goal setting fails because people only want to focus on the scoreboard and not on the process it takes to develop themselves and the person good enough to hit their goals. Hmm. And so that's that's sort of what I teach. It's, goal setting doesn't work by itself. It's really important to set goals. It actually is good to know where we want to go, but by itself, most people will fail. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned the 8%. Uh, you also mentioned another stat in your book too that 
23% of people within the first week of their New Year's resolutions fail. <laughs> what? A quarter, almost a quarter of people. Like, they're already out after the first week. Yeah, so do you, do you join a gym? Have you been to a gym at New yep, Year's? Yep, definitely. What was that experience like for it's you? It's crazy. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah, like, like and, and, and then you go back two weeks later, and what happens then? Yeah, yeah, it's it's empty now. You know, you could see it week two, week four, week six, but right after spring break time, I hardly see anyone. It's all the regulars back. Yes, and that's exactly right. Like that is it because they don't have a process to keep on going back to the gym. They make it too hard. People make it too hard. It's just the whole thing. But twenty three percent after the first week, and I kind of read that and I was like, wait a minute, what? That is absolutely berserk. That people why even go through the process of creating goals i mean you know you and i are probably high you know type a type of people but yep. like why even go through the process of wasting your time to set goals if you don't even plan on keeping them after a week it mm. doesn't make any sense to me mm. and, and then you wonder why only eight percent actually achieve our goals like go look at the gym in Jan you know december 30th versus january 7th and you'll know why it's the same eight percent of people going over and over yeah yeah i i totally get that um so let, let, let's talk the four elements now. I teased it out earlier. There's four certain elements that you have within this, this growth model um, that, that you mentioned. And the first one is dreaming. So you, can you explain dreaming? Yeah. So dreaming is like you think of. Like, where do you want to be? Expanding your mind. Dreaming the part where there is no limitations. And so what I teach in the book is dreaming five years out. And the reason why I picked five years is that it's far enough away that the limitations of the day of today do not limit you from what you can dream about hmm. but it's not like a 20-year horizon where i'm going to sell a hundred million dollars in real estate 20 years from now uh, okay maybe i okay right but five years from now 20 million dollars in real estate in the midwest you may not be able to hit it but but it's great it's a great goal and dream and what the science would tell us is dreaming uh what i call dreaming is is more like visualization for our brain and so our brain does a weird thing where we start to visualize in detail what, what life will look like five years from now and all the areas of our life. And our brain will start to wire itself to create a path to hit that goal. Hmm. Now, that's not like universe stuff where we're going to put in the universe and we're just going to let it happen and it comes back to us. That's not like the secret. Um, because what it is, it's a path to then set goals to it and actually start developing ourselves. But it's really important process because without expanding her horizons, without expanding where we want to go, then we're just a hamster on a treadmill that's going faster and faster and faster. But if we don't know what life we actually want to live, then we don't even know where we want to go. And so dreaming is sure. a really important part. People push, push hard on it. But, you know, it's the idea that every year, once a year, I go and my wife and I will go to a cabin at the lake and we'll dream about what our life looks like separately. And we'll write it down five years in one year. So we do it one time a year just to check ourselves. But it's really important. And it's amazing what clarity you'll start to get when you go through that exercise. Hmm. Do you have, um, you know, two or three sample questions that people could maybe jot down right now and, and dream on later? Uh, yeah. So there's a few things. Like, really, what does life look like? And then I have seven spheres of life. So we'll start with like what most people, <clears throat> a lot of people here <clears throat> in America care about, right? Like what will my financial situation be or my career or my business be like five years from now? Well, great, let's take the real estate example. Let's say you may be a really great real estate agent and you wanna be really successful, but you also wanna have a great home life and be with your kids on the weekends. Those things, those things don't go together. You can't be at home with your week, kids. You can't be at home on weekends with your kids if you're a really successful high octane stills agent on Saturdays, it just doesn't go together. So the point is, is like, what do I actually want my life to look like? What do I want my business to look like? What do I want my physical health to look like? What, what shape am I in? What do I want my emotional intelligence to be? Where do I want my mental capabilities to be? What lifestyle do I want to live? Do I want to be a digital nomad? Do I want to be married and have a house? Those things are always good because they start to think about, okay, if I do want to have a house, and I need to start putting steps in place to start to save money for it. Or, hey, where do I actually, or start to think about where do I want to live? And the same thing goes with, with romance, which is, you know, spouse or whatever. And some people who are married or not married, I, I started in this process when I wasn't married and I didn't have 
my wife, who's now my wife has a girlfriend or anything. I didn't know her. Mm. But what I knew is I wanted to get married and I had to ask myself if, if I am I good enough for the wife that I want to marry? And if that answer is no, I know I need to start doing some work on myself. Mm. So those are little questions you can ask yourself as you start to dream of what life looks like. Mm. Wow, that was a powerful question. I like that. Uh, and, and I'm trying to stay away from dovetailing down that road, but but I'm interested. Did you answer that question at some point in time and come up with a negative? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, actually, that question came from a mentor of mine. And at the time I was single, and I was probably, this is probably two years into my personal growth. Um, yeah, I was turning 30. So it was two, a few years into my personal growth. And he's like, Ryan, I know you're doing all these things and you want a wife are you at a point where you're good enough? Do you think you're good enough for the wife that you actually want to have? And like, if you think about what she looks for in a partner, are you that person? And the answer at the time was definitely no. Like I was not the person I wanted to become. And it, the idea of the wife, the wife I wanted and what she would look for in a husband, I wasn't that person. And I needed to go, I needed to go and develop myself into that person. Now, it's not like going and taking a bunch of actions and, and looking on the outside like you are some special person and have this persona. You, it, that's easy to see through anybody. We all know who's not authentic in today's. But like the honest truth was like, okay, I need to start to worry. I need to start to develop this skill. And I was notoriously a bad listener. I would, you know, had it. That was the one who talked all the time. Shocking. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I wanted to be a person who was really engaged with my wife. I wanted to be a person who, who listened to her, encouraged her, and supported her, and was her champion. And I started to just kind of had to go, kind of go back and learn, okay, how do you actually listen? Like, what does that look like? How do you not interrupt somebody when they're talking? Like, little skills that I just never developed growing up that I now had to go and develop at age 30. Hmm. And, and um, I commend you because I think you're a great listener. Listener, We had a, a pre-call to this and we ch chatted for about 20 minutes and then we chatted right before we, we press record here. And you are so great at letting somebody vocalize their entire thought and then taking a second to pause on that to make sure there's nothing else there. So you did a lot of things. Um, is, there, is there a small tactic that you use to get to where you were then to where you are now? Uh, yeah, actually. So let's talk about the formula, right? I had awareness that I interrupted people and I wasn't a good listener, right? And that was hard to hear, but I needed to hear it. So I had this awareness. Now, what do you do with it? And so what I did with it, I, I started studying and I came across this tactic, which is basically count to three. So in my head, when somebody's done talking, I will count silently to myself, one, two, three. At the end of three, if they hadn't said anything, and I'll, then I'll say what I wanted to say. But what, what I'll find is most of the time, I'll, probably 70% of the time, what you'll find is around two, two and a half, they'll, they'll say something else. And I started using this with the startup we did when we, the successful startup one that I just, I just left, I would do this in sales calls. Hmm. And I would do this with customers. And oh my gosh, like you wanna hear, you wanna get a customer talking, like leave a little bit of space for them actually to tell you what they really think. Hmm. not what the question that you asked. And so that is a tactic I use. So knowledge and awareness till I need to be a better listener. Let me start practicing it. So I create a daily discipline that I would try two or three times a week in a conversation to count to three. And now I don't have to actually think about it anymore. It's now a habit of mine. It's a natural habit because I've worked on it through so many years. And so I appreciate you saying that. But again, if you met me in 2011, I would not be on this show because I just not like I just had nothing to bring to the table. Well, that is a great piece of nugget. Uh, I, hopefully some people were out there were listening. I think that's that's great for, for leaders, for salespeople, for, for significant others. So many great scenarios that I think that plays a great part in. So let's talk about uh, the second element now, goal setting. Um, and, and you mentioned that dreams without goals are just wishes. That was a quote from your book, and I really liked that, book, that, that quote there. Um, so can you talk a little bit about goal setting? I know we touched on it a, a little bit already, but um, I would love for you to get into to breaking it down from that five-year goal down to, to uh, I think you, you break it down all the way down in the monthly goals. The dreaming part, right? We dream, we dream five years. And then we also dream one year. And the reason we dream one year is we have to bring it back to reality, right? I cannot be a $20 million real estate agent if I can't sell, if I'm at zero right now mm -hmm. in, one, in one year. Not possible. I, 
if you are, wow, good, good for you, but I don't think it's possible. But so what is a realistically dream that you have a year from now? So if you're sitting right now on this day, a year from now, what does life look like for you? And that's way more tangible and realistic. Are you living in the same city? Is it time to move? Is it, you know, all these questions. And so what we do then from there was you take those dreams those one of your dreams and then we just turn them simply into goals. So we set goals around the seven pillars of life. And now you'll have 14 goals, which is entirely too many for the average person to think about, including myself. Mm -hmm. And so what we'll ask is we'll, we'll narrow that down to three. You have three yearly goals you want to focus on. And then we'll go through that process and set quarterly goals to them. And then three, three monthly goals that'll push you towards hitting that quarterly goal. Hmm. And we'll do that in the, in the three. And so at the end of it, you'll have three monthly goals for the next three months. And that will all hit your three quarterly goals. And every quarter you hit your goals, you're going to hit your yearly goals. So all you have to worry about is the monthly goals at a time. And from there, we'll break down and in, in actually developing disciplines to hit those goals. So we'll talk about that next. But I talked a lot. Really what it is, is you take your yearly goals and you narrow them down to your monthly goals. So you only have to focus on three things per month and let the process just take care of itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. And, and, and I love dreaming. I love goal setting as much as everybody does. Um, but uh, I, at one point in time, I'd label myself a dreamer. Uh, and, and there was a lot of, you know, a lot of dreams, a lot of hype there, but not a lot of action taken on it. And, and I'm beginning to transition into the person that I really want to be. And um, so that's the, the element that gets me most excited and I want to talk most about, I think, is this daily disciplines. So why don't we start with explaining the difference between a task versus a discipline? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a, a lot of a misnomer for people. And so let's think about this, right? <clears throat> so here's a story. So Justin, let's say you and I are both podcast hosts and we're separate, but our goal and our dream is to, to raise money from a, from an angel investor, a venture capitalist to be able to fund our podcast show the whole time. Okay. Let's just, that's just the thing. Okay. So I'm a guy and I wake up and I have on my list to do each day is to do one episode every single day, because I understand that the stats will say, once you get to hundred episodes, your following really starts to get rolling and, and investors are really interested. Okay, so every day I wake up and I do one podcast and I, and I check it off my list and I move on to the next one. And I am relentless about it. I never take a break, I am on it. And I get to 100 podcast episodes, okay? So that's one example. The other one's you and you're more of a student than I am. And so for you, again, your same goal is to get to 100 episodes because you wanna raise money but your process is a little different. And so after each episode, instead of just immediately going to the next one and the next one and the next one, you're actually stopping, you're pausing, and you're watching your film, is what I call it. Or basically you're replaying the episode over again. You're taking notes. What did, I, what did you do well? What did you do differently? Um, what do you need to correct? So I said, um, too many times. I said, like too many times. I didn't ask an impact question here, right? And you're taking that, and those are all knowledge awareness pieces. And then you're, you have another episode. Episode number two is next, right? And so you take one of those things that you want to do, and now you're going to practice and you're going to apply it until it becomes a habit. Episode two, three, four, five. So eventually you're going to get to 100 episodes. Now I'll ask you and I'll ask the audience, if people are listening to this podcast, at the end of 100 episodes, who is the venture capitalist going to want to invest in? The guy who just pushes through and gets it done? or the person who took time to study and develop his, his or her skills to get there. And I think you and I both probably agree that it's gonna be, it's gonna be you, which yeah. is why you're hosting the show. <laughs> but the reason is because that's a task. A task, it was me. A task was me was like, I gotta get this thing done and I'm gonna get it done. First, the person who is developing the disciplines and skills and habits in their life to be a great podcast host the results, 100 episodes are still the same, but the, the development of skills to get there are entirely different. So that is a good example of what the task is versus what a discipline is. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I like that distinction. I think that's a great distinction there. Um, do you ever find yourself falling, you know, what was a discipline falling into a task? You gotta ask, yes. I mean, all the time, it's easy to do. And you gotta ask yourself, is there a purpose behind this discipline? If it's a task, like I need to vacuum my house, I need to clean whatever, I need to go to the grocery store, like those are just tasks. There's, 
there's no purpose behind that like, bigger purpose obviously to have a clean home is good but there's no bigger purpose behind that and hmm. so like i fall into it every once in a while you just kind of kind of check yourself and have a quick question about hey what's the purpose behind this thing and if it's not big enough then it's probably time to change that and it's probably just a task and i have tasks i have to do lists like those are still part of my life but they're not what i intentionally focus on each day because they're not going to get me to where I want to go. They're just achievement to, to, to achieve something, to check it off a list. Hmm. Hmm. So, so once the awareness piece comes into it, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example from my life. So my girlfriend and I do weekly date nights. Uh, and I, I'm somebody that is super disciplined that when I set my mind to something, it is getting done. Um, and I found myself in a rhythm of trying to create these date nights, just the fact so I can check it off my box. Like, hey, I need to do a date night this week. What can I do here? And then I had to take a step back, I feel like, and, and maybe I went through the exact same process that you went through and realized, hey, this is not like two hours I'm trying to check off and get done here. This is this is a, a date that I'm trying to connect with her. You know, so so I had to remind myself in, in my on my on my date night now. In parentheses, whenever I put it in my Google Calendar, it, it shows connection. You know, it's I'm not checking that off unless unless I make some genuine connection there, and it's just a reminder of me. And I like those little mementos or those little reminders. You have something interesting that I heard you talk about, which was your core values card that you put in your wallet. Can can you talk on that? And if you want to uh, uh, talk on on what my example just was as well, you know, feel free. But but I loved your your core values card as well. So I'd love for you to share that with your yeah. with the audience. Oh, I love the core values card. I got that from John Wooden, the guy I talked to at the beginning okay. of the episode. But let's go back. Let's go back to you for a second, Justin. And so you had the before and after, right? You, you were you were you had a task of taking your girlfriend out on a date every week, which is commendable and it's amazing, right? But what led you to the realization that you were lacking something there? How did you come about that? How did you realize it was just a task you had? <laughs> it, it... I didn't come. I didn't come to that realization without my girlfriend. So we do a Sunday check-in as well, and um, it's easy just to audit, audit what the big events that throughout the week. So I asked her, you know, how did you think about the? What did you think about the date? And she said, you know what, I just, I liked it, and I'm, I'm glad we went out. And um, you know, the taco was great. We got um, like an ice cream taco, but that's that's for another deviation. Um, but she's like, I. I've, I felt like we just went and got a taco and then we came back. Like I, I really, I wanted some connection and some romance inside that date. So that's what I was like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so what did you do to change? So like I said, so I, put you, that, I put so that, I put that awareness, had knowledge, right? Yeah. Yep. What so I put the, you do because of it? So I put the parentheses now for all my future date nights. It shows connection there. So I, I want a reminder whenever it pops up on my phone, it says, you know, 30 minutes until XYZ date. And then I see that little parentheses there that says connection. So that's when I'm shutting things down. I'm thinking about how do I want to show up in this moment now? And then when, when you're actually on the date with her, then is that on the back of your mind? You're thinking about that? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, especially the pre the prep for it, you know, the, the mental state it's, I'm getting out of work now. Cause we do a lot of like weeknight dates. Um, so it's, it might be a transition from work into, into a date night. So it's a 6 PM date or something. So yeah, it's, it's definitely on my mind and it's something that I'm almost trying to intentionally do now a little bit more. So, you know, she had the great idea of bringing these cards that are like our moment cards that, that, have like relationship questions on them. So great things like that, that I felt like, okay, we didn't go and have a taco and talk about how was work today, you know, how, how that, you know, how that meeting go with you, blah, blah, blah. Like that can be done at the dinner table when it's, when we didn't label as a date. I wanted to have a genuine connection with her. Oh, I love that. I love yeah. that, man. That's, that's such a wonderful thing. And then the, what you, what you and your girlfriend are building is something special. Like people don't have that. Mm -hmm. I think that's wonderful. I think it's great for the audience to hear you know, the, the feedback that your girlfriend gave you and then the realization that, Hey, you know what? I need to change. Yep. You didn't blame her. You didn't say circumstances. Well, I had a busy day at work. You said, no, I just need to do something differently now. Cause I want something more. Right. And so all of a sudden you put purpose behind that and it became a discipline now that you're actually developing. And I wouldn't be surprised a year from now we're talking, you don't even think about it. Yep. It's just a, it's just a habit in your life that you do. And it's, mm -hmm. it's wonderful, man. I, I wanted to cover that because yeah. I, melted in that conversation nice thank you i appreciate it and yeah there's there's a lot of intentionality behind it which uh you know let's let's bring it back to to you know the final 
uh, element of, of your model, which is growth partners. So you, you have here, you quoted a study, um, a study from the American Society of Training and Development that someone who schedules and commits to reoccurring conversations with someone about the process of their goal, they have a 95% chance of, of achieving them. So um, maybe first of all, how can someone find the right growth partner? That is a really, um, that's a very, very common answer and actually kind of hard and awkward. Mm. Um, the challenge is finding people who are like-minded with you who want to grow, right? They have the growth mindset. They have the hunger. They want something more than where they're currently at, and they're not satisfied with it. The challenge is, is that that's not that many people out in the world. They don't actually want to put the effort in. And so it's, it's, it becomes challenging. But think about it like you're joining you can join a mastermind online that, that are read books together. You can, um, you see somebody on LinkedIn who's doing something great, like reach out to them. That's actually how I met one of my growth partners was on LinkedIn. He reached out to me and we had coffee and all of a sudden we connected and, you know, we've been friends for five years now and I'm the godfather of his kids. And so, mm. um, it's awkward, it's hard, but have your antenna up, be looking for people who are speaking differently, looking for people who are reading books that you may not be maybe like, okay, well, that's, that's sort of interesting. There's no easy answer to this. Honestly, now that we're out of college, the, the people who are around are hard to find. It could be at work, but you know, again, it's a small segment of people that really want to actually grow themselves. Yeah, I, I find this really challenging. And I think almost, mm, I, I don't want to make this a gender thing, but I think it's almost more challenging for a guy because you have to go through that awkward, like asking out on a bro date and not only like yeah. a bro date, but like a, like a nerdy bro date. Like it's like, hey man, like I, I think you and I think the same. I would love, you want to just grab coffee and, and talk? <laughs> it's it's so awkward, but if the other person is what you think they are, I've found that every single time they say yes and they find they find it because they're typically looking for the exact same person. Yeah, I love that, right? The, the minds the minds come alike and it's awkward to ask somebody on a coffee date hey man you want to grab coffee and talk about life like as men that doesn't that doesn't really happen it's quite awkward but my encouragement as you've done before right to the audience is just step into that mm -hmm. what's the worst that can happen like you have an awkward conversation with somebody okay like you move on it's not a big deal but step into it because you, you'll some of my lifelong friends came from those exact moments of of stepping into an awkward moment and let's go coffee so um, why, why do you call them a growth partner versus, say, an accountability partner? Yeah, accountability. So there's, um, I'll step back. So there's this theory called hedonic theory for our brain. So our brains wired naturally to avoid pain and seek pleasure, right? It's nothing, there's nothing new about that. It's obviously how our brains are wired. <clears throat> so the idea of accountability You'll never hear me talk about accountability partners. I hate that word. I don't like to use it because it's basically like an outcome. You either did what you said you're going to do or you didn't do it. So you either going to get a reward or you can get a punishment. Mm. It's outcome based and it's, it's pain based, right? It's avoidance of pain is why I'm going to do this task. So I'm going to do this so that when I meet my accountability partner, I don't get in trouble. I don't let them down, right? That's avoidance of pain. What, growth partner is is somebody to walk with you you guys are growing together there's not a um a point of like okay i gotta achieve this so the growth partner is going to meet with me no it's called it we're going to win and lose together we're going to have a lot of learnings together we're going to walk with each other and so that's momentum building that sinking pleasure those meetings should be really really fun you should never feel guilty about not doing something because your your growth partner is gonna be mad at you that's not what it is. It's about a loss for yourself that you didn't do, that you wrote down, you share, and you have a fix to it, mm. right? That's momentum building, growth building in, in your mind, working to seek pleasure. That's pleasure building. And so that's sort of how the difference I say. So avoiding the pain of accountability, but seeking the pleasure of growth partners. It may look the same, but the terminology will, be, will matter if you start to use it in your life. Mm. I think that makes total sense. I think that's a, a, a genius move. What, um, and, and you started kind of to allude, allude to it a little bit, but how do you structure your growth partner meetings? Yeah. So in the book is, is really helpful. We have things called the intentional week. So you, you do your daily disciplines. Then at the end of each week, you talk about your three wins, your three losses, your three learnings. And really that's the structure of a growth partner meeting. So what went well this week? 
What could you do differently? These are questions you can ask your growth partner. And so how we do it, I have two other partners. So I have three of us are in a group. And so basically we'll go through, we'll talk about the percentage we got that week, our three biggest wins, our three losses and our three learnings. And really that'll, because we're engaged with each other and we're tracking with each other each week and we care about each other, those really evolve into really good deep conversations where I am open to them challenging me on things. If I'm not pushing myself hard enough or if I'm, my learning's not correct and they want to challenge me, they can in a safe spot. But a lot of it's around celebrating wins together. Mm. So there's a concept of savoring in our mind. And, and the idea is that when we get a win in our life, we enjoy it. But the reality is that the way our brain works is that when we share that win again with somebody, we enjoy it all over again. Mm. We get to savor in the moment. And so that if I share it with you, Justin, and you've been tracking with me, you get to savor the moment too. So it's, it's momentum building. Like I said, it's pleasure building the way our brains are wired. And so that's really important on the growth partner meeting and the structure of it's in the book, three wins, three losses, three learnings. And if it's a lot of people, one win, one loss, one learning, it's, it's really powerful. Hmm. Have you found that there's, um, you know, in, in your opinion, is there a good number to stick around for this group? You know, is it is yeah. it one on one is great? Is five great? Is ten too much? What What do you think, in your opinion? Yeah. Um, I would say at most four, and it all depends on how much time you have. Mm-hmm. Because to give enough people about twenty minutes to talk takes a little bit of time, and so one on one still completely okay. The only challenge is if people's schedules are crazy, and and they can't make it for whatever reason, their kids are sick or something at work then you don't, you as the person in there don't get anybody to talk to that week. And so I like to, I have the, the sweet spot's three. So that way, one, you have enough time that everyone gets to talk about it. You get different perspectives. It's, it's more of a brotherhood or a sisterhood. And then also if somebody can't make it for whatever reason they get sick, you still have that growth partner meaning built in. That's still on your calendar, still momentum building for you. Hmm. Makes sense. Well, I love I love your model. I think people should um, go grab your ebook. It's free on your website, so I, I think people should go grab that and read that. And it's a quick read. And if they're interested in continuing further, you put out quarterly uh, books. And I'll let you explain that a little bit at the end. But I want to move away from the intentional growth model a little bit and circle back to um, your 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 business, your business, your startup that you made in Silicon Valley. Um, I want to chat about this for a quick second because I believe there's probably a good learning lesson in here somewhere. So you came out of college and went to Silicon Valley, uh, created a startup, and um, then found out maybe, what was it, three years later that maybe that's not not your sweet spot? Or or what happened there? Yeah, a massive failure. That's what happened. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let you say it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not offended by it. It was a great great experience. So packed up U-Haul, didn't know anybody. But I was, I was based in Kansas City at the time. But at that time in Kansas City, the entrepreneur scene wasn't what it is today. I didn't have the right people around me. you got to be in the game to win the game. And I, and I wasn't in the game. Hmm. The game was in Silicon Valley back in 2011, and it still is today. So I packed up a U-Haul, moved out there, recruited a team, built a product, iterated, iterated, iterated. And over two and a half years, um, through many, many iterations and examples and we almost got a celebrity deal done with Anna Kornikova I was basically out of money oh. I was out of energy I was just done and it was time to head back home and admit failure and that was like the hardest thing because I, I don't think I've ever failed in my life up until that point and so it was very personal to me so I packed up a U-Haul and moved back and as I reflect on the experience a lot of things came out of it one is this whole journey to where I'm at today but one of the major things I learned in there was that I would never do a business that I can't put the success or failure on my shoulders. So for example, I was not, I was a business guy. I was not a coder. I was not a developer, hmm. but yet I was building an internet technology company. And so the success or the failures actually comes down to many things, but the main core of it, the product was code that I couldn't write. And so that was a really big learning for me as I told myself, I will never do another business that I can't step in and actually like drive this to the finish line if needed. And so that was like a big learning. And then the next opportunity came around and it was a technology product, but was for meant for semi trucks. Um, and so that one there, I was sort of in my wheel and my sweet spot more because it was more of a business 
um, opportunity for me on that one, not the technical side. So again, I in my sweet spot, in my strengths, I got to operate. And then obviously this one is, is completely on my shoulders, which is both good and bad. So <laughs> uh, that was the thing for me though, just, it was hard. How does, how, man, you had to lick some wounds there, some public failure. Um, you know, people were probably over the, those couple of years always asking, checking in how the business was going. Probably friends from back home wanted to know how things were going. And then you licked your wounds all the way back from, you know, Silicon Valley to, to Kansas City. How, how does someone start to build themselves back up from that moment? I think the first thing you do is take a deep breath and like give yourself a, give yourself a break. Um, and understand that the why the business may have failed and you may have lost all your money, you are not a failure as a human being, as a person. Mm. And that was really hard for me. And the external world, <clears throat> friends and business colleagues will look and you sort of, when you have a failure on your resume, you know, you sort of have that black mark. And it's a really weird thing. I tell you what, I probably won't hire anybody unless they actually had a failure because I'm not sure I can trust them until you, mm. I know how you're going to operate through adversity. But that's just the way the world works right now. And so that was really hard. And so I think what I would say to answer your question is, is give yourself a break, take a deep breath, take a few weeks to like just, just be yourself and get back to joyful moments for yourself and, 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 and be there. And then start to dream again, right? Start the process, start to dream where you want to be, pick yourself back up, you know, getting around encouraging people, um, start to mend, start to mend the fences of your life and, and start to find something that's going to, you know, get you fired up again and get you back in the game. Um, and it's okay sometimes to take a corporate job if you want to for two years to save up some money, to get out of your parents' house, whatever you need to do. And that's okay because five years from the road, you're probably doing it again and you're back in the game. And so that's just my recommendation is, Take a deep breath, lick your wounds. It's okay, and then get moving again. Hmm. Yeah, and that's yeah. A that's a mature thought to to actually say that you know real business owners might be looking for failures, not always just successes, and, and that's powerful. And and a Jim Rohn quote that you have in your book also that I, I really loved and I wrote down here is one of the ways that we learn uh, to do something right is by doing it wrong. And, and I think that's just like a highlight of, of your life right now. And I love that you included that in your book. Um, I have, I have one more question until we get to our, our conclusion here, but, uh, I love this birthday ritual that you have. You write a letter to your future self every five years, which is so cool. You've been doing this since what? 22. I think you said. Yeah. Since I was 21. 21 and you're how old now can i can i ask you that 30, 30, yeah 35 okay so you've been doing this over a decade now uh and it's probably so fun to open that letter up uh every birthday and you recently had a birthday here in september is that correct uh i january uh, july oh july um so what insight did you gain about yourself from your most recent letter yeah uh I think the, the most insight I had is how much I have grown between the age of 30 to 35. Mm. Now, given we talked a little bit earlier about my mentor asked me, hey, are you the person you want to become that's good enough for your wife? That was at age 30. That's the last time I wrote the letter. And now I'm married and having a kid and mm. has this wonderful wife and she laughs. I actually let her read the letters, <laughs> which is like a little uncomfortable at first, but she and she laughs and she does not recognize the person in those letters. And I think that's for me, what I take away is the biggest highlight for me is realizing that each day I'm pushing and I'm grinding and I'm, I'm trying to develop myself and build myself. And sometimes I can't see the results right away. Mm -hmm. But when I read those letters every single year, I'm like, whoa, look how far I've come in five years. Like, can you imagine what I'm going to be when I'm 40 and 45 and 50? And, and like that just, it's energizing for me. Um, so to, to tell your audience kind of what I do, so every year since I was 21, I wrote a letter to myself, just what's going on that, that year, what I'm dreaming about, what I think life will be like five years from now, uh, my current financial situation and tracking that. And then I put it in an envelope and I seal it up and I put do not open until July 5th, that's my birthday, of whatever five years from now. And then the next year I did it and the next year I did it. And eventually I had five built up. So the sixth year came around and I got to open that first letter 
and it was just crazy and, and that is so much fun and so now i get to open a letter every year but get to those first five years are hard for your audience but it's way <laughs> worth it and i think you mentioned that you and your girlfriend may do this which i encourage you because now my wife and i on our anniversary every year we'll actually write a letter to ourselves. Oh, that's a great so idea. We're not, yeah, we're not at five years yet, but eventually we'll start to write and to read them and the hardships we went through and what we worked through and what life really was like as a newlyweds. And and then I have a daughter being born in November. And so I'm going to do the same for her, her every year of her life. Hmm. I'm going to write a letter to her, what, what it was like and all that. And then at 18, I'm going to basically give it to her as like a graduation present of like all 18 years of what I think about her. So. Hmm. Man, that, that's got to be a special present. I can't, uh, I can't wait. That's, uh, that's so cool. Yeah, I'm going to uh, write my girlfriend's birthdays next month. It's, it's actually in like a week and a half. So we were planning on, on writing a letter together on her birthday. Uh, and then I'll probably sync it up with my birthday. But it was in May and I wasn't going to wait around until May to write myself a letter. So I was like, let's just do it on your birthday. <laughs> So, uh, yes, that's awesome. so Ryan, uh, before I ask my final question here, where can people find you if they resonated with something you said today? Yeah, the best, the best place to find me is Instagram, uh, Ryan at Ryan dot performance coach. Um, or you can find me on the website, the intentional day.com. My books there, like you said, there's a free ebook too, that some of the stuff we're talking about, it's all in there laid out. And then I have some courses for individuals and for businesses. So that's sort of the best place to find me. Awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes for anybody that's looking for you. So my final question here, Ryan, is um, we all have lessons that we wish we would have learned earlier. What is one thing that you wish you would have learned at the age of 20 that you had to learn later in life? Um, that is a really deep, great question. I think what I would have learned is fail faster. Mm. And that because failure is not really a failure. It's a learning opportunity. You're just accelerating the point of failure. You're accelerating your learning. And so I, I wish I didn't waste my 20s. I feel like I wasted my 20s not learning enough. And so that's what I wish I would have done differently is understanding that there's great smart mentors out there I could have learned from and I could have accelerated all this failure in my life and gain new skills and gain new knowledge and wisdom and, and seek things to learn, not because it gives you a degree or gives you some sort of certificate, but like because you actually want to learn from it. Hmm. That's what I would do differently when I was 20. Hmm. And I think that's a beautiful place to end. Thanks again for coming into the sandbox. I had a great conversation. Oh, that was wonderful, Justin. I appreciate <laughs> you guys letting me talk to you guys today. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If this episode brought value to you, share it with a friend and show love on social. You can tag me at Justin Lee Peters. The link to the show notes is in the episode description and we'll include all the resources we talked about today. This episode was produced by Gabby Dimeke. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time in the Sandbox.